The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, A Church for the City. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord. From the book of Psalms, chapter 105, verses 1 through 6. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, this is the word of the Lord. We are in a series called A Church for the City, and each week we are kind of showcasing a member of our church and how they are uh, serving the city. And uh, you saw in that video, every time um, Phil was running, it was in slow motion. It's because that's the only way you can catch that guy. And uh, let me just address uh, something else a little obvious this morning. Um, My mom did not like her Mother's Day gift. That's what happened to my eye. Maybe not. My fight club got a little intense this week. Or maybe not. I won't tell you the true story. But anyways, my name is Justin, and I am one of the pastors here. And before I pray and jump into the sermon this morning, I wanted to let you know about something a little special that's happening next week. First off, I will not be here. Um, So that might be special enough right there. I'm going to be with my wife. In Cabo, Lord willing, we've tried to do things like this in the past and didn't quite make it to our said destination, so we're hoping we get there, enjoying our 15-year anniversary. So, yeah. This this will be our um, first trip away together, and that isn't ministry-related, and I think like 12 years, so that's not good, men. Don't do that. That's too long. Uh, We've been pushing hard and um, looked at the calendar, realized, oh, man, I've preached every week this this year, except for one, and that one week I was in Texas doing a wedding. So I'm like, "Ah, it's time for a break. So I'm looking forward to the break. I won't be here, but you will not want to miss because our study on being a church for the city continues, and it continues with my good friend Derek Puckett coming down from Chicago to preach for me. Uh, Derek leads Renewal Church. And uh, that's just about a block away or or a block or so away from the United Center in Chicago. He's a great preacher. He's a great pastor. And he knows a thing or two about living in the city and being a church for the city. So you will not want to miss church next week. So be here. Listen, be here ready to worship and bring a friend with you. It'll be a good week. Now, let me pray for us as we get started this morning. Father, um, I thank you for... First of all, I just thank you for, for our moms. I do thank you for that. I thank you for the way that they love and serve us. Um, but Father, we also, um, we want to make this day about you first and foremost. And so we thank you for being a God who cares for us and a God who pursues us and a God who knows what we need even when we don't and a God who meets our every need. And so I pray right now that you would settle us, that you would settle us in for a little while, that we could focus on you, focus on your word, focus on what you would have to say to your people and that you would think through my mind and you would speak through my vocal cords and people wouldn't hear my opinions and my ideas and my words, but they would hear 
your words, that you, through the power of your word and the power of your spirit, would speak deep to the heart of your people. I pray that you would keep distractions at bay and you would help us focus this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be a church for the city. We've learned that God loves the city and he has sent Christians to seek the good of the city, that we are to be bringers of light into dark places, that we are to be workers for justice in unjust systems or when the injustice is around, that we are to be the very best citizens of the Quad Cities because we are already citizens of the heavenly city that is to come. Now, many of you, this is just kind of providence of God, many of you have asked me, hey, We're a church for the city. What are we going to do about the flood? What are we going to be doing? And I know we're serving in a lot of different ways in our city. And we've had government, some officials reach out to us and they're going to to let us know. And as soon as we, basically, most of the work's going to happen as the water starts going down and we've got to clean up. That's where most of the work happens. So we will put something on Realm, our social networking uh, program, to let you know very specific ways that we can kind of collaborate together to serve our city. But... Uh, We also need to remember, right? We also need to remember, even though there's real practical work that we're doing out in the city and all those things, we also have to remember that true shalom, true peace, true justice, true welfare can only be found when people are in a relationship with God, a right relationship with God. So for us, seeking the welfare of the city also means connecting people to God, all right? That's what we're gonna be talking about today. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, right? The church exists to connect people to God. This has traditionally been called evangelism. Evangelism is the term we use to refer to the preaching of the gospel. It comes from the Greek word for gospel, which is evangelion, and it means literally, so ev- so evangelism is, means literally gospeling. When we evangelize, we are gospeling. We are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is about connecting people to their creator. Now, we don't use the word evangelism around here very often. You won't hear us use that word. Um, mainly because there's a lot of baggage, unnecessary baggage that comes with that word. And most of the time, if I, was, if I were to ask you, are you an evangelist, you would look at your business card and say, that's not me, right? Very few of us put that on our business card. An evangelist is a guy who preaches the gospel for a living, right? He travels the world or something. But when Jesus tells all Christians to go and make disciples and to let our good deeds be seen among men so that people will come to know our Heavenly Father, he's telling us that every Christian is called to connect people to God. In that sense, every Christian is an evangelist. The way we usually communicate this biblical reality is by saying every Christian is a missionary. That is one of our foundational identities we receive from God when we come to Christ. He makes us into missionaries. 
Charles Spurgeon, the famous 19th century preacher in London, has said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. He also said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Intense. So when God saves us and invites us in to know him and to walk with Jesus, he gives us an internal desire to see others come to know him. And he sends us out as missionaries into our world to connect people to God. That's one of the reasons we're here. The question is this morning, how do we do that? What does it mean to be a missionary? Well, we, get, we do this primarily in two ways. First, uh, we're going to say, we're just going to put a big moniker on. It's called missional living. This is kind of what this whole series is about. It's how we live our lives in the city, right? We live our lives in the city for the good of those in the city. We are neighbor focused. We care for the needs of our neighbors. We care for the needs of our city, right? We work hard and we serve others through our vocations. Our vocations are not just a way to serve our own needs and to build our own bank account. Our vocations are a way to literally serve the good of our city and the good of our world. Now, we, we say around here, this is just living our normal life with gospel intentionality. So going to the coffee shop with gospel intentionality. Go to be kind and be gracious and be a good tipper, right? Go to meet people and build relationships, just living normal life with gospel intentionality. Now, we're going to talk more about that in weeks to come. But what I want to zero in on today is another way that we are meant to connect people to God, and that is through what we're going to call missional worship. Missional worship. This is what we do when we gather together in our Sunday gatherings and in our missional community gatherings. Now, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you might be aware of this dichotomy that is often created between evangelism and discipleship. Many churches say unapologetically that their gatherings are geared towards outsiders, those who don't yet know Jesus. And it is usually because it's geared toward people that don't know Jesus, it's usually Christianity 101 every week. Christianity 101. It's not very deep spiritually. It's pretty surface level. The music is always upbeat, fun. It feels more like a concert. People are probably just observing something and the people up here are kind of performing. The sermons are usually short topic-based. They are entertaining, full of personal stories. A lot of times people walk out and go, man, that preacher's hilarious, or man, that guy's fun, or can you believe his kids did that? And oh, they go out with, they go out remembering funny stories and not, what was the text that was preached this day? What did God have to say? These sermons are made and targeted at our felt needs. They're meant to make us feel better immediately. There are five ways to have a better marriage and three steps to obedient children, right? 
uh, six ways to be financially prosperous, whatever it is. The goal, now listen, the, these, these services are usually pretty light on the Bible. They kind of feel like you're going to a concert or something. They feel normal. And the goal is to make Jesus or the church as attractive and as palatable as possible. To get as many people to profess faith in the moment as possible. That's kind of the goal. That's why people do it. The question is, what do people out there want? Let's try to give it to them so that they can profess faith in Jesus. If you go to one of these churches and you say something like, how can I go deeper in my faith? You will be told, bring more people in. Share your faith outside, bring more people in. The church isn't about you. You can study the Bible on your own. This church is about those who are outside of the faith. But then other churches, their Sunday gathering is primarily geared for Christians and discipleship. These churches usually preach longer sermons, maybe even going through books of the Bible together. But the key here is that oftentimes these churches assume that everyone in the gathering is already Christian. So in a sense, they're always preaching to the choir. The sermon often feels like a lecture or a Bible study. And it, many times the sermon doesn't, it's, it's aimed at information and not transformation. So it usually brings a lot of information, but very little conviction of sin. And when it does bring conviction of sin, that conviction is almost always aimed at outsiders, people that don't believe. So sometimes these churches will even have an altar call. And so what the, the feeling is, the people who need to repent are the ones who don't know Christ. And so they're going to have an altar call and they're going to give an opportunity for people who don't yet know Christ to repent of their sins and come to Christ. But the people who are coming week in and week out can kind of get a sense that they're better than others. This type of worship gathering can feel like all the sinners are out there in the world. And we are the few who actually know God and actually serve God and have our act together. These churches really kind of preach to their base. Now, some churches even go, they recognize this kind of sense of a dichotomy between evangelism and discipleship. And so they try to address it by having evangelistic gatherings and discipleship gatherings. So maybe they have an evangelistic Sunday morning and then a discipleship Sunday night. But the key is they still think there is a dichotomy between evangelism and discipleship. Now here, one of the things that kind of makes us a little bit different is we don't believe that dichotomy exists. We think Christians are called to worship God in a way that is missional. What we mean by that is our gatherings are meant to be attended by people who know God and people who are not yet a follower of Christ. And all of our gatherings should be understandable and coherent to believers and unbelievers. And we believe if we do this right, we can both evangelize 
and disciple people in the same gathering with the same core message. <clears throat> my voice might, I might lose my voice. So if it does, I apologize. Now listen, here's the deal. This, isn't, this doesn't just happen by accident, okay? Kind of reaching unbelievers and believers with the same core message doesn't happen by opposite. accident. accident. It, we have to be very focused. And it's, and it's not just up to the church leadership to do that. This is going to require something of you as well. It's important for all of us to actually understand what we are doing here this morning and what we do in our missional community gatherings and why we are doing it. So it's to that end, we're going to look at Psalm 105 this morning. So open up your Bible to Psalm 105. We're just going to look at the first five verses. Now, if you don't know, the Psalms are literally a worship guide. They are meant, they're the book of the Bible that is meant to teach believers how to pray and how to worship God rightly, right? We don't get to invent ways to worship God. We need to worship him in the way that he desires to be worshiped. And so we're going to look at Psalm 105, and this is what we're going to see. I, I, I basically had to narrow it down to four things. Uh, we're going to, it's going to be quick today, Lord willing. Our Sunday gatherings and our MCs, listen, they're meant to be four things. I'm going to give them to you quick, and then we'll break them down. One, devotional. Two, gospel-centered. Three, communal. And four, missional. Every one of our gatherings, this is how we try to connect people to God, all right? Four things, devotional, gospel-centered, communal, missional. First, our gathering, our gathered worship and our gathered missional communities, they're meant to be devotional. What I mean by that is that our gatherings should be personal, passionate, vital, living, intimate, and in accords with who God is and what he has done. Look at what we're called to do when we come together. Look at verse one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Okay, one of the things that we do when we come together is we thank God for all that he's done. It's a purpose for our gathered worship. We talk a lot at Sacred City about evidences of grace. This isn't just a sacred city thing. This is commanded to us in the scriptures. When we come together, give thanks to what God has done. Call upon his name. We're meant to pray. We're meant to ask of him. We're meant to say, God, show up, please, in this gathering. I need something from you in this moment. Make known his deeds among the people. Look, sing to him. Sing praises to him. Why do we sing? Because God tells us to sing. And human beings, we sing about everything that we love, everything that we enjoy, right? We make hymns. We make music. We sing about things. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name. That word glory, it means boast. We're to brag in his name. Boast, not of our great works, but of his great works, the things that he's done. When we get together, that's one of the things we're meant to do is we're meant to, that's kind of the devotional aspect of glorying in God's name enjoying all the things that he's done. Let the hearts 
of those who seek the Lord rejoice. We're enjoying God when we come together. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember, I mean, look, look at all the things that we're called to do, right? All of these things are meant to encourage us and meant to bring us joy. That when we come into the gathering, oftentimes we're frustrated, right? Work isn't going the way we want it to go. The kids aren't behaving the way we want them to, right? Our relationship with our spouse is not as awesome and passionate as we thought it would be, right? You ever have any communication problems in there, right? Yeah, we come in frustrated. And the answer to our frustration, the answer to our angst, the answer to our problem is to seek the presence of the Lord continually. That's why we come together every single week. Seek his presence continually. Look what else? Verse five, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgment he uttered. One of our greatest problems of human beings, as human beings, is that we forget. We forget how faithful God has been to us. And so the Sunday gathering, as we're devoting ourselves to Lord, it's meant to remind us of all that there is in life. Remind us what the Lord has done. Remind us how he's been good to us. Okay, so devotional, we get it. We're to give, give thanks, we're to testify, we're to sing, we're to tell, we're to glory, rejoice, seek his presence. Remember that worship, when we come together, listen guys, it's meant to engage all of us personally. It's, it should take our minds. There, there should be some things up on the screen sometimes that you have to think hard about. Hmm, what does that mean? We're called to worship God with all our mind. You might not understand it. That's okay. Think about it. It's called to engage our hearts, right? We, we don't want stoicism here. Right? We don't want to worship God with only our minds. He says worship God with all, Jesus said, with all of our hearts as well. So some of the worship should be pulling on our heartstrings a little bit, should be moving us emotionally. And of course, it should also engage our bodies. God says over and over in the Psalms, raise your hand. Sing loud, shout for joy. Dance. Now, hold on. Just be careful with that one, okay? Right? We don't want to get too overboard. Right? Now, listen, worship should engage us. We should be engaging our mind, our heart, and our body. Now, I get it, some of you, most of you, right? You don't have rhythm, right? I get it, right, the, you know, I get it. But here's the problem I have. My problem is when I see you stiff, not moving, right, and then I see you in a different context in our city. I see you at a football game, right, and I see you going crazy. Whoa, what, what's happening here? Why does the environment of a football game engage your mind and your body 
and your, your heart in such a way that you're very expressive there, but then when you get in church, you're very reserved. Right? That should challenge some of us, right? Worship is meant to engage all of us. We are meant to be just thir- thoroughly enjoying God while we sing, while we pray, while we listen, and while we speak together. Now, this counters formulaic worship, okay? Formulaic, cold worship that all I'm doing is coming in and reading the words on the screen. That's not worship. Worship must engage, right? Must engage our hearts. God doesn't want your ritualistic, formulaic worship. He wants your heartfelt expression of love and devotion to him. Secondly, we see here what the content of our worship should be. And that is, we say around here that our worship should be gospel-centered. There's something unique that happens as being humans and we only have two eyes to look for them, right? Is that everything is seen from our perspective. And guess what we can be tempted to believe? We can be tempted to believe that everything is about us and about our opinions, and then we come into the worship gathering with our problems and our needs and our desires, and we want the preacher and we want the worship to be about us. Tell me what I need to know. Fix my problems. I am drowning here in this thing called life. But over and over and over in this psalm, what's the content of the worship? The content is God and what God has done. That is the gospel. This, is, this counters our desire to be man-centered in our worship. All right? You can see here it says, make his deeds known. Right? Sing praises to tell of all his wondrous works. When we're coming together, in a sense, it's not about us It's about God and what God has done. And we're celebrating and rejoicing in who he is and what he's done. It's not about us. I'm not going to spend much time on that. But worship isn't just meant to be devotional. It's not just meant to be between you and God. Worship is also meant to be communal. When we read at 105, here's something that we... we, I don't like to go to the original, you know, the Hebrew too often. But when we read it in Hebrew, we realize that every imperative in this psalm, listen, is plural. This is not written for you and your devotional time. This is not written, well, I just worship better in nature by myself. Well, duh, everyone does. <laughs> Guess what? When you, put the, when you set the worship playlist on your phone, you made it. It's all your favorite hits. You don't have to worry about nobody else, right? It's in your language. It's in your culture. It's, it's, in, it's all shaped by your desires. That's why you like it. But our worship, when we come together, is not meant to be about me and God alone. It's meant to be communal. Every one of these imperatives is plural. 
It's meant to be done together with other Christians, with inside of a worshiping community. Now, people ask me all the time, and as we get more disconnected as a culture, right? We're, we're all connected online, but we're disconnected in relationship. We're disconnected in, in face-to-face encounters. And we have things, we even put our sermons online. We put those sermons online to help those who, who are sick at home, who are traveling and are out of town, not for those who just want to be by themselves and worship in their bed, right? That's not why we put those online. People often ask me, as we're getting more and more disconnected, more and more individualistic as a society, people ask me, like, what is the church for? Can't I be a Christian without being a part of the local church? Listen, the the Apostle Paul tells us this. When we come to faith in Christ, we are grafted into a body. That means every Christian is a part of the body of Christ, and we're meant to be a part of a local church. Now, I want you to ask me this. We're all parts of the body. Can you be a finger if you aren't a part of the body? Can you be a finger? Now, here's my, the answer is yes, you can, okay? But not a healthy one, right? You got a finger in the jar. It's still a finger, but it's disgusting, right? It's not connected to a living and thriving and vi- doesn't have a vital existence. It's dead. It's cut off. The same is true for Christians who try to live outside a church, try to live outside of a worshiping community. There's something wrong with it. You can't grow as a Christian in a jar. You need a body to grow. And this psalm was a hymn meant to remind God's people that their worship wasn't just about them. Of course you can worship God in the lake. Of course you can. Who can't? Right? Of course you can worship God on the top of a mountain. Look at his glory. Look at his grandeur but not in the way that God's prescribed for us as a community. There's something special when we come together that our worship of God, because God himself is a community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our worship is meant to be done as a community. You cannot worship God on the golf course or in the forest or on the lake in the same way you can when we come together as a church family. Now, this counters the radical individualism that we preach as a society. Our society right now is preaching a false gospel. Do you hear me? And the false gospel is this. You are what ultimately matters. Your desires, your wishes, your wants, whatever you want, you make it happen. That's the God. And listen, this is why, this is one of the reasons when you Put your finger on the pulse of our society. We are one of the most broken societies that's ever existed. We're headed for a train wreck and we don't even realize it. Suicide rates, all-time high. Depression, all-time high. Anxiety, all-time high. I just read a, a study that came out this week that men in their 20s are having less sex than ever in history. Why? Pornography, that's why. 
Brokenness is everywhere. People would rather text each other than talk to one another. Listen, our society is headed for a train wreck and we don't even know it because we're taking good selfies. Our Instagram game is on point and we've got the right filter and everything looks good at home and we're broken on the inside and we don't know what's up and here's what's up. You were made for community. You weren't made to be an individual all on your own. And our worship isn't just about what we want. Oh, I just like that one song and I wish they would have played that song today. It's about the community. We're doing it together. We're worshiping God together. This counters the radical individualism. Now, I'm, I'm using kind of Sunday morning as the example, but missional community is the same. Listen to me. Oh, you had a bad day, so you don't want to come to MC? For re- Shame on you. You had a bad day, you should go to MC. MC is not when I've had everything together, I come swaggering in, I'm good. Anybody need me here? Because I'm in a good mood right? I came to be a blessing. Sometimes you need to swagger in. Sometimes you need to limp in. I barely made it tonight. I burnt the potatoes. I brought them anyways, right? It's not about you. Now, listen, so many people treat missional community like it's their own personal counseling session or it's their own personal triage, They come to the community when they need something or when they feel good. They don't just come because I'm a part of a community and this is where I live out my identity as a family of Christians. And guess what? Somebody might need my presence there tonight. I don't feel like going, but somebody might need my word of encouragement. Somebody might need my care, my question. Missional community isn't for those who are all put together and nor is it for those, you know, to come and just get their own personal counseling session every single week. Missional community is worshiping God together. That's what we're doing there. We're being the body of Christ together. Lastly, our worship is meant to be missional. What does that mean? That's a word that we've, you know, it's kind of popular these days. And this is what it basically means. Missional means this. It, our worship of God is meant to, in this gathering and in our missional communities, is meant to be done in such a way, listen, that out, outsiders can come to understand who God is and what's he done. It, it's, that means it's meant to be understandable. Now, we see this in Psalm 105. I'm not going to get into it too much. But three different times in Psalm 105, the author puts the words servant and chosen together. Servant and chosen. He's pairing the idea of being a missionary and being the elect children of God. He's putting these two things together. Now, this is why. Because in this psalm, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, and all of God's people as a whole have been chosen to be servants of the world. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations, is what God said to Abraham. God's purpose in choosing him, God's purpose in adopting him into the family was to send him as a missionary to the world. 
So election is not just for the elect, but for the purpose of God's mission. So too for us. The church doesn't just exist for the sake of its members. We exist for the sake of God's mission. You want to know why there's a church called Sacred City in Davenport? Because God has a mission to be known and worshiped in Davenport. And guess what? We looked at our city and we said, there's not too many people worshiping God in our city. We're one of the least churched cities in the nation. We need more churches and we need hundreds of more churches in our city. God has a mission to be known and worshiped and we exist for the sake of that mission. When God's mission is fulfilled, when the new city comes and Jesus sets up his reign, guess what? We, the, church, the church as it is doesn't need to exist. We won't have a mission anymore. Now, what does that, what does that do? The, this, the idea that we want to be a missional church, that we want to exist for God's mission, and that means we need to be welcoming and inviting and understandable to outsiders. This counters what I described earlier in the discipleship church that can often create what's called tribalism. Right? When people come in, we, we speak our own language, we keep those out, we're closed. We're closed to outsiders. It's hard to get in, it's hard to understand. No, the missional church is meant to counter the tribalism that many times Christians want to circle the wagons and keep all the bad people out, right? And hunker down and just worship God together and it's just me and my holy huddle. Or the name of the, there's a, literally a church in Rock Island called the Church of the Dedicated Few. I was like, who's naming this church? Is that a self-fulfilling prophecy or what? Like, hold on, we're at five. You're out of here. We've got past a few. We've got to change our name to the Dirty Dozen now. I don't know what to do. I, I joke, but it's ridiculous. And it happens often in churches. So what does it mean to be missional? Let me break this down. You see over and over, look, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Look. Make known his deeds among the people. Everything these believers are being told to do, sing, right? Sing, shout, testify, tell of his wondrous works, enjoy God, glory in his presence, seek his presence continually. All these things that they're being told to do, they're meant to do them with an unbelieving world watching them do them. Worship and let people watch. People who don't yet believe are expected to be watching them. Tim Keller says this, we are, not call, we are called not simply to communicate the gospel to non-believers. We must also intentionally celebrate the gospel before them. One of the ways that God uses to bring people to faith is when they observe Christians worshiping him and enjoying him, Sunday and in missional community. Now, let me get really practical for a minute, and I'm closing. What this means for us 
It means a few things for us. One, we expect people who don't believe the gospel to be here and in our missional communities. Now, we might just go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But here's what this means for us personally. Our language needs to reflect that. You hear me often say, and I will say today, for those who don't believe the gospel or for those who aren't Christians, right? We want to be welcome. We want to be inviting. We want to be aware that they're here. Now, do you communicate that like that in your missional community? Or do you assume that everyone in your missional community is a Christian? And if you are making that assumption, when somebody who shows up who's not one, they'll feel left out, they'll feel on the outside, they'll feel, it'll feel tribalistic. You have to communicate like unbelievers are there, like outsiders are there. Don't assume the gospel. Just because somebody's been to church all their life does not mean they understand the gospel. Don't assume it. Secondly, we should be making our worship, Sundays in missional community, easy to understand for outsiders and, and, and listen, and where we can't, there's some things that we do that are hard to understand, right? We have to explain it to them. As our society continues to get more and more secular, people, many of us even in this room, never went to church growing up. And when we, or maybe when we, we went to church once or twice and we went to one of those outsider-focused churches and just kind of felt like a happy, clappy concert and we did, oh, that was kind of fun and we left. And when you step into a missional community or you step into our Sunday gathering, what is going on? Right? One person described it this way. When we read our confessions and our professions, they said, they went and told their mom, they're like, mom, they chant at this church. Right? I'm like, well, liturgy, what we do, ancient historical practice, liturgy literally means uh, the work of the people. It's one way to engage the whole body and not just the people on stage, the professional Christians up here, right? Leading the whole service. It's one way we engage one another. It's an ancient historical practice. This is one of the reasons we do that. But this, this is what I want to press us on. When you invite people to your MC or you invite people to this gathering, are you explaining to them what we do, why we do what we do? Maybe I could ask the question that comes before that. Do you know why we do what we do? Do you know that our, because we believe that our worship should be gospel-centered, the worship itself, our structure of our service is actually gospel-centered? How, how is it gospel-centered? The gospel is this. God calls unbelieving sinners, in, sinners into worship him. When an unbelieving sinner responds to God's call, they repent of their sin. When they repent of their sin, they hear God's call, I love you, I forgave you, I have a new identity for you in Christ. When a person receives that, they worship God and they profess their faith. We believe in you, we trust in you, we want to live out this identity in Christ. Then they need teaching and they, they, they get, we hear preaching. Right? Then we pray together. We take the Lord's Supper week in and week out together because Jesus told us to. Then we get sent out to be on mission. Right, That's what the benediction is all about. Our worship gathering takes the actual shape of the gospel. 
That's why we do what we do. So when, so when you're explaining it to somebody, you can explain some of the pieces that way. And we've got a lot of resources that can help you communicate that as well. But, but listen, the people we're inviting, many of them, they don't have a church background, or if they do, it's, you, you gotta ask them where they're coming from, right? And you have to communicate to them, be a good missionary. This is why we do what we do at our church, right? This is why we do what we do at missional community. Now, lastly, if our worship is missional, the way Jesus, or the way God prescribes for it to be, people should be coming to faith in our gatherings as we worship. I want to ask you this. Do you worship convincingly? Do you express with your body and your voice that you believe the truths that are on the screen? You know, one of the, one of the reasons why people reject Christianity is because they come to a gathering like this and they see all these people who claim to be Christians singing about a man who died for them or blood and they're singing like this. Listen, if you were walking into the street and you, were about, and you didn't see a bus coming and you were about to be hit and somebody tackled you and got you out of the way and they took the hit for you and they died for you, right? And then you were telling of that experience. There would be something desperately wrong with you if you told it like this. There was a guy, he, he, he knocked me out of the way and he, he died for me. All right, you're either a sociopath or you don't actually understand what you're saying, or you don't actually believe, you didn't actually experience the salvation that that guy provided for you, that he act, you should have been on the front end of that bus. Well, this is what happens for the Christian. We realize that the wrath of God was coming against us like that oncoming bus. And there was no way to get out from under the wrath of God because we're all sinners and we've all sinned against God. And so there was nowhere to, there was no hope for us. And Jesus came and he threw us out of the way and he took the hit for us and he gives us his righteousness. He says, now you can be in right relationship with God again because of what I've done. And when we get together, we're stoked about it. And when we're worshiping like this, that does not communicate that you're stoked about the gospel. Think about how lackluster, distracted worship comes off to an unbeliever. Oh, they must not be into it. They must not really believe it. Sunday mornings and our missional communities. That our worship together is an opportunity to proclaim and advance the mission of God that we have been written into this story and we get to do it together and people get to watch us do it together and people get to see, oh, this is what community looks like. Oh, this is what living as missionaries look like. Oh, this is what God, how God has saved us and God has brought us into a family, that people get the gospel by looking at a worshiping community. They worship like they're really loved by God. They 
forgive each other like they've really been forgiven by God. They lay their life down in service for their city like God has already laid down his life for them. Oh, this isn't just a ritual. This isn't just dead religion. See, missional worship isn't just showing up and going through the motions. Our worship, and I don't just mean our time of singing, I mean our whole gathering, our confessing our sins together, our profession of faith, our attention during the preaching, and of course our singing together is all meant to be seen by those who don't know Christ, and it's meant to be an apologetic for the gospel. An apologetic means a reason to believe. The way we worship is meant to be a reason to believe for those who are outside of Christ. God's mission is to be known and worshiped among all people. And Sunday morning in our missional communities, worship is an opportunity to proclaim and advance the mission of God. Now, if you are not a Christian, you might be asking, why? Why do this every week? And I've already used the analogy of the bus. Like, that's why. Christ took what we deserve. And here's the reality. If God has taken care of our greatest need, I know you think your greatest need right now is more money. It's a bigger house. It's a spouse. It's a child. It's another child. I know that's what you think your biggest need is, but it's not. The service is meant to be a smelling salt. Your greatest need is forgiveness. Your greatest need is to be set free from the two things that are coming, death and judgment. Those two things are coming. And the only way to get, they're a bus barreling down on us. And the only way to get set free from death and judgment is through Jesus Christ being killed in our place and under the judgment of God in our place. And now we can receive adoption and forgiveness and we can receive new life from God above. And here's the reality. Here's what under, underlies all of this. If God has dealt with our greatest need, he's not gonna lose sight of your whatever the need is that you have right now. He cares for you as a father. He's taking care of your greatest need. You can trust him with any need you bring before him right now. And that's why we take the Lord's Supper every single week. Is it a ritual? Kind of, yeah. Is it a dead ritual? It depends on how you define that. It's not a dead ritual. No, absolutely not. It's a tangible expression that's meant to make the spiritual real, the spiritual physical. Christ died for us. That's why we have the body. His body was broken. His blood was shed. That's why we have the body and the blood. So if you're not a Christian this morning, don't come take the elements. These are only for Christians. But take Christ by faith. Believe in Jesus. Believe in what he's done for you. He can change your life. That's why we can sing that we're not the same because of what Christ has done for us. <coughs> Excuse me. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for what you have done for us. We want to declare it and display it till the day that we die. We want to be your gospel people, worshiping in our city in a way that others can look in and see who you are and see what you're like and see what you have done. I pray that you would bring glory to yourself, that you would bring people to faith this morning, and you would help us um, turn from our sin, all of us in this room, Help us turn from our sin, repent of our sin, and embrace once again Jesus Christ by faith. Help us eat 
in a worthy manner, standing in the righteousness of Christ, remembering what you have done to save us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.